Alright, you can open your Bibles to Psalm 42, please. Psalm chapter 42. And this morning we're going to begin by reading the entire psalm. Walton, if you could turn me down just a little bit. Alright, Psalm chapter 42. try to choose songs as much as I can. That will go along with the theme of the sermon. And this morning is no exception. We sang this morning, As the Deer. This comes from Psalm 42, and you'll see it in verse 1. Let's go ahead and read the entire chapter. The Bible says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Have you ever spoken to yourself? That's what David just did. He's talking to his soul. What's going on in there? Verse 6. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. <clears throat> Just so you have the geography correct, that's the, the land of Jordan is to the east of the river Jordan. And the Hermonites and the hill Mizar, that's up by Mount Hermon, all the way up near Syria, way up north. Verse 7, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. Everybody know what a water spout is? It's like a water tornado. It's like a tornado, not a hurricane, mind you, but this is a funnel going up in the water. Massive storm. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. With that, let's bow our heads together, please, and let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you this morning for the wonderful singing that we're able to participate in. Lord, the message that it has for our soul, the edification that it offers. And now, Lord, we've opened your word. We've begun reading it. We want to go deeper into it, Father. We want you to speak to our hearts. Please don't let this just be an exercise of a man standing up and giving his opinion on it. Lord, I believe there's something in this for everyone here this morning. Please put your finger 
on the needs of the hearts of these individuals, even myself, God, please start with me. And we ask for your help, your presence, and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, brother. As you can see throughout this psalm, David has hit a rough patch. Amen. I think that's the simplest way to say it. Something's not right in David's soul. He acknowledges this within himself. He's talking to himself and then he acknowledges it to God. Let's quickly take a look at this passage and identify all the problems that David is is having. And as we identify them, would you do me this favor? Please help me with this. See if any of this speaks to what you're going through. See if the things that David was experiencing and feeling maybe this week, you have experienced and felt some of these things also. You can see this in many of the verses, but let's just take a quick look at verse three. My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say to me, where is thy God? I think you can see based on this, David felt a certain level of abandonment. Verse four. Notice in the middle, for I had gone with the multitude. I had gone. Right? That's something he used to do. Right now he's not doing it. I had gone with the multitude. Now the multitude is not there anymore. So it's not just abandonment by God that he's feeling. He, he no longer experiences that overwhelming and refreshing presence of God that every single person desperately needs. Much like Jesus prayed on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It should be alarming to any human being when they cannot find the presence of God. David is feeling a level of abandonment from God and also from his fellow man. The multitude is no longer with him. Loneliness has set in. And loneliness is a very, very powerful thing to discourage us. In verse 9, I believe you can see it again. Yes, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Do you see it? Abandonment, loneliness. In verse 5, why art thou cast down? This one is obvious. David felt cast down. When you look into the word behind cast down, the Hebrew word behind it, you know another way to understand it? Depressed. That's what it tells you it means. Depressed. Cast down. We, we would say, I feel down and out, down on my luck. Another very apt word would be sadness. I'm just cast down. Verse 6. <clears throat> I have verse 6 on my paper. <clears throat> so sorry. I don't think that's verse 6. I have here crying out, disquieted. No, that's verse 5. Forgive me. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? To be disquieted is crying out. It's the opposite of quiet, right? There's, there's, a, there's a, a chaotic sound, an uproar, but on the inside. On the outside, there might be peace and quiet, right? Society may not be offering the noise, but inside, you can't seem to hear the voice of God because all you can hear is a voice, a shrill voice of panic. I'm not going to reproduce that voice for you now, but you understand that, ah, that, that inside, that noise that you associate with, oh my goodness, I'm completely terrified. I have no idea what's going on. And you just scream. That's to be disquieted. 
Verse 9, we've looked at it already, but he says at the end of it, why go I mourning because of the enemy? Mourning, this is the same thing that you would find with somebody going to a funeral. To be brokenhearted, to look at what you're going through in life and realize that part of my life is over. I'll never get that back. Isn't that what we feel at a funeral? My loved one, my friend is gone and I'll never get a chance to be with him or her again. That's it. And that feeling of mourning, that can be not just with people, although it's more intense there, I believe. But even a stage of life sometimes is gone. It's done. An opportunity came your way and it didn't work out the way you thought. Maybe it's a business deal. Maybe a child has left home and not under bad terms, even under good terms. But now that stage of life is over and it can grip your soul and really get you down. Let's try to sum it up with what he said in verses 1 and 2. At the end of verse 1, he says, So panteth my soul, which is where I get the title for my sermon today, Panting of the Soul. In verse 2, he used this analogy, My soul thirsteth for God. It's what we call an anthropomorphism. When you take a human attribute such as panting, heavy breathing, you understand thirst and apply it to something spiritual so that it draws a picture in your mind of of not what the body or the spirit is experiencing but the soul there is this deep overwhelming nigh unto devastating thirst hunger desire for god the soul is in need i think that that's a safe thing to say the soul is in need and if i can maybe um Define it like this. I want to make sure that we understand the difference between stress and pressure. Stress and pressure, because there is a difference. There is a difference. Stress, or you might say anxiety. Stress and anxiety happen when the pressures of life are not dealt with in a biblical and godly manner. Let me say it again. I want that to sink in. Stress and anxiety happen. When the pressures of life are not dealt with in a biblical and godly manner. This is why you will find the same difficulty happening to one person here and they come through okay. And the other person feels the same difficulty and it devastates them and they can't get over it. They can't get through it. And I'm not, please understand, I'm not saying this in a condemning way. Because I've been that second case many, many times where I didn't deal with the problem before me in a biblical and godly manner. And what could have just been pressure, pressure can be a very good thing. It can be a tool used by God to mold you into what you need to be. You'll find many times in the Bible that it's not the world or your flesh that offers the pressure. It's often God that either allows it or brings it into your life. You'll find David in the book of Psalms many times says, God, you pressed me sore. You pushed so hard it hurt. These pressures sometimes do come from God. We need not look any further than the cross of Christ, do we? It's how you respond to those pressures. It's how you handle them. God has given us all we need in the Bible 
He's given us all we need in his Holy Spirit living inside of us. He's giving us a local church wherein we can bear one another's burdens. He's given us the support system and the answers and the, and the advice and the counsel so that when these pressures, which, by the way, are inevitable, no matter how wise and smart you are, no matter how much you plan, no matter how careful you are, these things are going to happen. The things that David is experiencing, you will eventually experience these things to certain levels, right? Maybe this week has been a good one, but there will be a bad one. And we need to know how to properly respond when these pressures happen. As I've pointed out, let me just emphasize it further. David says it's his soul that is panting. Yes, he says it many times, doesn't he? Verse 5, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Verse 6, O God, my soul is cast down. You see, he's focusing on the soul. Might I also just for a moment focus on the soul? Why not say my body? Why not say my spirit? You understand that there's three parts to every human being, a body, a soul, and a spirit. Let me use an illustration that I've used for years since I became a missionary in Africa. I think it's just more fitting. I wouldn't use this in America. But think of this as a minibus, right? A minibus taxi. And we're all familiar with that. And this minibus, which is you, has three passengers, three, three occupants, one driver, two passengers. The real you is the part of you making decisions. It is the part of you that houses the will, right? The, the will of a man is the part that makes decisions. I will do this. I will not do that. Yes, so that, that's the driver. The soul of a man is the driver of the minibus. The driver is responsible for the ultimate decision. Turn left, turn right, go straight, back it up, whatever. Okay, you have two passengers, very loud, sometimes annoying passengers. They don't wear masks. They're not socially distanced. They're stuck together most of the time. Your flesh and your spirit. Your spirit. Your human spirit. Your human spirit is on loan from you from God. Yes, God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And when you die, no matter if you're saved or lost, no matter if you're black or white, doesn't matter when you live or where you live, that spirit goes back to God. It's on loan from God. And that's why in every human being, it is innate. We, we automatically know there's something out there. Now, because we're fallen and we, fall, we, we follow in Adam's steps, our spirit is dead in sins. And it doesn't respond properly to God until we get born again. And then that connection is fully reinstated. So at the very least, you have a soul that's driving the minibus. You have a flesh. You have your flesh. You have your spirit. And the flesh is filled with sin. We're not talking your physical body necessarily. This human nature that comes along with being in a physical body. The flesh, right, lusteth against the spirit. It always wants to do something wrong. So it's telling the driver, driver, hey, 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 you, you, turn left, turn left. Ah, turn left, left, left. Left, hey, hey, you, you, left. Ah, why, why, left. All the time. And the driver sometimes gets very annoyed. Yeah. Ah, shut up, let me drive. <laughs> And then there's another passenger inside of you that, that knows, hey, there's right, there's wrong. And if I do something wrong, the one who made me is not going to be happy. And that part of you, this is where your conscience is. Your conscience is a function of your spirit. 
And that's why you've, you've seen it illustrated with a little devil on one shoulder, a little angel on the other. That's the best we can do to draw it out. That's your flesh and your spirit. We illustrate your flesh with a little devil. <laughs> Just thought I'd point that out. But there's a part of you that when that passenger, the flesh says, hey, 10 left, 10 left. The other part of you says, ah, but why? No, my friend, you can't turn left. You must go right. Don't go wrong, go right. <laughs> and there's this ongoing battle in every human being. Do this, do that, don't do this. And always, always, day in and day out, we have that internal struggle. Every human being, no exceptions. And the soul, when there is so much noise, what did he say? Verse 5, why art thou disquieted? There's so much racket in the back of the minibus. Ah, go here, go, 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 fighting. You just want to say to yourself, shut up. Let me think. That's why we break away and go somewhere quiet, right? Yeah, that helps because we get rid of the external noise, but there's still internal noise. There still is. And here's the thing. You can say no to the flesh, listen to your human spirit, follow your conscience, and the driver can be at peace to say, hey, I took good advice, I made the right turn, on we go. You make the wrong turn, you hit a dead end, you go, ah, why did I do this? And there's disappointment. You understand how this would, how the soul would eventually feel responsible for making the decision. I should have followed this advice and not that advice. There are times when your flesh and your spirit feel pretty good. And I'm talking, you know, physically, there's no challenges. You're not faced with the disease or anything. And you're not really tempted to, to do anything lustful or wrong. And, and your spirit as well. Things are going pretty good. You're, you're not grieved. You're not vexed by anything. All those emotions are a product of your spirit. And you're having a, what the world would think is a good day or a good week or month or a year, right? Revenue at work is up. Your workmates, you get along with them. Your wife even smiles when you walk in the room. The kids aren't arguing with you. The dog even comes up and says, (laughs) all is well. Church bry, the bry place is lecker. You think, man, I should be happy. I really should be. And yet, even though there's peace and quiet in the back of the minibus, the driver can still be sitting up there going, what's wrong? Why am I not happy? What? Why am I still cast down? I should be on top of the world. I have everything that the world would say makes a good life, but something's missing. Where would that come from? You need a third passenger to climb into the back of the minibus, right? You got the driver, you need a third. You need the flesh, the spirit, now you need the Holy Spirit. Because your soul was created in order to have fellowship with God. Your soul was created with this, I want to say, natural desire to appear, verse 2, to appear before God, to have close, intimate fellowship, to hear from Him, to be near to Him. In the cool of the day, listen, don't we enjoy the, a nice walk in the cool of the day and the shade and the wind is gently blowing? That sounds great, but if you're all alone, it, it's still nice, but not as nice. But when the presence of God pulls up right next to you, it doesn't matter how good or bad things are going in your life. If if God is there, satisfied. 
And until you find that real and intimate fellowship with God, no matter how good you figure things in your life to be, they're not where they need to be. The longing of the soul is to be not just reconciled, but close and happy with God. What did we sing this morning? Let's get it right. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. When you look through this song, look at verse 1. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. Guys, do you realize where these hymns come from? They come from Christians, men and women down through the ages that have experienced the thirst, the panting of the soul, this desperation of the soul. They're searching for God and then God shows up. They find this happiness in the Lord. And from that, the the expression, the manifestation of that overwhelming joy turns into these beautiful songs that last for hundreds of years in our hearts and in our churches. They have found this happiness in Jesus and they want us to know it too and they put it in a song. Where does it come? Not just getting saved, but when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. Can I ask you to turn in your Bibles? I have it on your... On your outline, but I'd like for you to see it in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The best of us, amen, the best of us are going to experience this longing, this panting of the soul. Just because you're in a valley this morning does not mean that you're not spiritual. Because this morning you're struggling and disquieted and cast down and can't overcome the depression, please know that the very best of God's people have been where you're at. 2 Corinthians 4, can you look with me at verses 8 and 9? We've seen what David said in Psalm 42. Let's see what the Apostle Paul said. David is a man after God's own heart. Paul may be the greatest Christian that ever lived. Paul said in verse 8, we are troubled on every side. Now, how many of you feel like that? Everywhere you look, no matter which way you turn, it's just problem, problem, problem. We are troubled on every side, yet not distress. Do you see the difference here between pressure and stress? Paul admits there's pressure, but he says, we're not stressed out. Yeah, it's tough, but I'm not stressed out. We are troubled on every side, yet not, sorry, distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. See, it's not hopeless. Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. Yes, what he's saying is people hate me. People are saying ugly things about me and their negative comments hurt me, but I still got God. But not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Yeah, I'm sad, but that's not the end of me. Do you see how Paul is able to categorize these things? He recognizes the pressures of life. They're real. Let's not deny them. A Christian doesn't need to pretend that now that he's saved, nothing in life bothers him. Come on, that's not, that's not reality. We can admit it. We can be like David. We can be like Paul. Say, man, that's a bit rough right now. I'm having a bad week. And listen, if somebody tells you that, be careful how you respond. You don't want to sing songs to a heavy heart. 
That's the book of Proverbs. You don't want to pour vinegar on an open wound. That's that's Proverbs. Be, Be cautious. Somebody's going through something. Just be aware. It's kind of tough. Come back to Psalm 42. I want to take you through just two, two points, as you can see on the outline. We're talking this morning about biblical advice for dealing with depression and sadness. And I have two main points, but then as you can see, underneath point one and two, you have ABC, ABC. So you're actually getting three sermons for the price of one. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Since I'm charging nothing, well, you get what you pay for. <laughs> Point one, for those of you filling out the outline, cause of the panting. That is very simple stuff here. Cause of the panting. Point two, cure for the panting. Okay, That's very straightforward. We just want to identify what what brought on this rough patch that David is experiencing. And we want to look at what David said can be done and what he did to overcome and to satisfy the panting of his soul. Something just came to mind. I think it's worth saying out loud. Psalm 23, are we all familiar with that famous psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Something very interesting about that passage. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some years back, my son was in Bible school and the only sermon he's ever preached in front of a crowd, he preached that passage. And I had never really considered the point he brought forth that night, but that was his main point. He says, we are going through the valley. We're not staying in it. We're going through it. I have held on to that truth ever since it came out of his mouth. I thought that's nice. When I, when I hit the pressure, right, this, these pressure points in life, it's, it's, this is not how it's always going to be. I'm going through something. I'm not stuck in it. God has a way of getting us through it. So let's look at the cause of the panting. What causes our soul to feel this thirst, this desperation? Number one, you can put this next to point A, exhaustion, exhaustion. I believe that you can actually break this into two sub points. So let me explain them both quickly. Number one, you can be exhausted by fear. So if you are a deer, right, a heart, a heart, by the way, is a male deer about five years old. That's what a heart is. So verse one, when it says the heart pants, it's actually a male deer, just more specific. But imagine a deer in the wilderness at night, which is when a lion comes out to do its hunting. If you are that deer and a lion is chasing you all night. Can you imagine by morning time when the lion gives up hunting you, how exhausted you would feel? You're running here, running there, hiding behind everything, jumping over this. He almost got you. Oh, man, your heart is beating out of your chest and you don't know at any moment this could be the end of you. The exhaustion you would feel would just be overwhelming. By morning light, you would rush towards the water brook and say, I've got to get a drink. I have nothing left in me. I am completely spent. And sometimes, listen, you know what's chasing you. It might be a debt collector. It might be a wife that you're trying to divorce. It might be somebody who used to be a friend or you thought was a friend and now they're out to get you. It might be a business partner that shook your hand at one point and said, 
man, let's make a go of it. And now all of a sudden, all the promises he made no longer apply. And now he's out to get you taking legal action. Whatever the case is, it, you know this thing, this person is chasing me. It is relentless. It is not going to let me go. I've got to run and hide all the time. It will wear you out. Now, sometimes you know what it is. Sometimes you don't. You know, another thing I think that falls into this category, you can get exhausted just by worrying about something that might happen. It's not, you don't even know it's chasing you. You're just afraid that it might start chasing you. <laughs> Amen. If you are the deer in the field and you hear a low grumble, a little bit of a roar there, roar there, you don't, nothing's necessarily chasing you. Are you going to sleep that night? If you're the deer? No, you're thinking, okay, that lion didn't see me, maybe didn't smell me, but I know he's there. Don't we know that the lion walks about seeking whom he may devour? We know that. We know that we live in a lion-infested world. And we are ever aware of that. And sometimes that gets stuck in the back of our mind and we think any moment, I don't think anybody's chasing me. Nobody's attacking me, but they might. And that pessimism, that negativity... You can't sleep at night because you're worried. Oh, no. Tomorrow when I wake up, how many problems am I going to be facing? That's a real thing. It wears us out. It's exhausting to constantly worry about what might happen. This is where I don't often talk about this in a sermon, but I'm going to say it because it's true. It's more true than we realize. This is how witch doctors This is how witch doctors operate and and get control over people's lives. They scare you to death. They scare you to They put you in fear of this make-believe thing that's chasing you. It's not really there. But they tell you it's there. That way you stay constantly worried. And, oh, you have to rely on the witch doctor to get you through. Do you see how that operates? He wants to wear you out through fear so that he's your only hope. The tokolos is coming. (laughs) He's not there. Listen, there are many real dangers. And and listen, I know we say that. We kind of, you know, a little chuckle with that. But guys, these are things that really do play in people's hearts and minds. And it scares them. They're not sure how to handle such information. Verse 7. Do you see where David says this? Deep calleth unto deep. At the noise of thy water spout. So here comes a water tornado and it hits one body of water, the deep. Remember David, he, he was down south by the Dead Sea. Then he's up north by the Sea of Galilee. And no matter where he goes, bam, a tornado hits him there. Bam, a tornado hits him there. It's problem after problem. Deep calleth unto deep. And what do they say? David, we're coming for you. You can run, but you can't hide. You can leave the land of Israel. You can hide on the other side, Jordan, but we're coming for you. We know where you're at. He says, God, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. It's just one thing after another. David experienced this in the person of Saul. Saul came out and threw javelins at him and David took off into the wilderness. And no matter where David went, he hid in a cave. He hid in behind a hill. He was here. He was there. And somehow Saul kept tracking him down. And chances are all of us have a Saul in our life. Maybe it is an imaginary Saul that we're just worried might show up one day. But it's wearing you out. 
And it's causing your soul to become very thirsty. There's another reason for exhaustion. Not nearly as bad as fear, but also real. And that is you can just be exhausted because you work too hard. You just work too hard. If you think about an athlete who runs, yeah, you can only run so long and so far before you need to take a break. And have you seen a runner get to the end of his race? If especially at a sprint or marathon, whatever, he, he's bent over like this, yeah? Right? He's panting. Sometimes we push and push and we burn the candle not at both ends. We create a couple extra ends and burn them as well. And we just burn and go and push and drive on and drive on. i got to get the work done. We have deadline after deadline after deadline. And it's not Saul chasing you. It's a deadline chasing you. It's your boss who's not persecuting you, although you feel like it. But he's breathing down your neck going, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? And there's this constant pressure to get more and more done. This is true, right? In, in the secular world, you, eventually you, you're going to wear out. You've got to take a break. You probably need to look at your schedule and do some time management and say, if I'm going to actually exist past the age of 40... 50, I'm going to have to slow down a little bit. This is true in the secular world, but it's also true in the spiritual world. Please hear me when I say you want to serve Christ. And some people jump in and say there's a lack of laborers in the harvest. And to that I say, amen. There is a gross lack of laborers in the harvest, probably because they're so busy laboring in the harvest of the world, laying up treasures on this earth, building bigger barns. And well done you. I'm glad you've made a success of yourself. Eternally, you're very poor. And I hesitate to think about what's going to happen to you in eternity for that. But some, some are so busy abundantly serving the Lord and you need to think long term, is this sustainable? Because eventually, even spiritually, you take on so much, you're carrying so many crosses, you're going to burn out. And sometimes the exhaustion comes from trying to do too much. Now, I'm careful when I say that because I don't know to how many people that applies. But if it applies to you, just be aware If you're feeling that, oh, I don't think I can do anymore. That panting of the soul, don't ignore that. This is your soul telling you, break away from the labor, get to the living water. The Apostle Paul experienced this, didn't he? Paul set up churches all throughout Galatia. You know what he did after his first missionary journey? He went back to Antioch and the Bible says he stayed there a long time. What did he do? He took a break. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And when they came back, he realized they haven't had a break. They haven't even had time to take a proper meal. The Bible says in Mark 6, they had no time for leisure. I think you guys say leisure. I don't know what leisure is, but they had no time for for leisure. They They had no time for a church bride. Nothing. Jesus says, you guys need to break apart for a while, go into the desert place and just just chill out for a while. You know what happened when they did? They went into the desert place and 5,000 families showed up and they had to feed the multitude. (laughs) Right? It's one thing after another just keeps coming. It's deep unto deep and it just never stops. But but the command of Jesus to pull apart and make time for a little bit of leisure that we can learn from that exhaustion can cause the panting of the soul. It causes this desperation. You start to feel worn out and tired spiritually. Let me show you another thing. 
This is point B, one, point one, sub point B, intense heat can cause panting. Number one, exhaustion. Number two, intense heat. Anytime you have a deer, maybe no one's chasing it, no one's hunting it, but there's no trees around, there's no shade around, it's just walking through a barren stretch of land in the heat of the day, that intense heat can cause panting, cause the heart to race and the mouth to go dry and that animal needs water. So Brother Mike, what are we to learn from that? Jesus gave a parable about a sower going out to sow seed. Remember this? Some of it fell by the wayside, some on good ground, some on thorns. Where'd the other one fall? It fell on stony ground. Remember that? And Jesus said the sun comes up and scorches the seed. And because the seed had no depth in the earth, it hadn't put the roots down, it burned up and the seed became useless. Remember that? And when the disciples asked him, what do you mean by all these things? He explained that part of the parable. He said the sun coming up and scorching the seed... That is like intense persecution. So you hear the word of God and then people come along and start making some very negative comments. Start saying some very ugly things. Start showing constant disapproval. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Man, I hate these Christian people. These Bible thumpers. These holy rollers. These happy clappy. And they start saying all these negative things. And it may not even be true of you, but it's just, it just gets you down. It makes you think, man, if I choose this path, if I follow Christ the way I know I'm supposed to, I'm going to be doing it alone. If I do this, I'm going to find the disapproval of all those around me. And that is challenging. Can we, can we see this in the life of Christ as he's hanging there on the cross and the people walk, walking by? Wagging, the Bible says they're wagging their heads. Listen, folks. Here in church, I have made this comment a few times. I'm not ashamed of it. I said, I enjoy a good, hearty, educated amen. I'm not ashamed of that. I like that. It it is biblical, by the way. It's true. But no, at no point, and let's get this right, at no point have I ever commanded you that you have to say amen. No command in the Bible that you have to do it. But if you do it, you're doing something biblical. Amen. (laughs) That's how it's done. (laughs) But you don't have to say amen. Some of you, that would just explode your head if you did. You're not used to that. And that's fine. That's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. Not against you. But tell me, tell me how this would affect you. If we reverse the roles... And you're up here talking to the people and the people, instead of doing this, right, this is a good substitute for amen. If you cannot physically form the word amen, this, this works, right? That's good. For some of you, blinking. (laughs) At least I know you're awake. It's like Morris code for amen, amen. (laughs) Oh, thank God. He's still with us. Nodding. Right? Hey, that's good for me. I'll take it. I'll take it. What, but what if it's this? What if while you're up here speaking, the crowd is doing this? Don't you think that it would be more difficult to deliver the sermon? Right? Now, now, please, don't get nervous. None of you are doing that. Not, not that I've seen. 
maybe while I'm focused here, they're doing it. And when I turn here, they're, I don't know. Maybe you're very sneaky. You're very sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky. Maybe. I don't know. But you, you, you can understand my point here. If, if you're making a point and somebody's going like that, oh, that, that kind of grabs your attention and goes, wait a minute, what did I say wrong? Why? Why are you against me on this point? Now, imagine, imagine you students walking into the classroom and as you walk in, nobody says, hey, Khandit. Hey, man, what's up? They all go like this. You go into work tomorrow and instead of, hey man, good to see you today. How was the weekend? You walk in tomorrow and they go, ah. Oh. That gets you. You take a stand for Christ and you know how the world's going to treat you. You, you walk through the world and, and the world, by and large, gives you, the, gives you one of these. Oh, oh man, here he comes. There's that Christian guy. I'm going to tell us about Jesus. going to give me a trial. Have you ever tried this? You pass out a few tracks and, and somebody sees you coming with a track and they, they, they hide, right? Oh, no, here it comes. That doesn't feel so nice, does it? You feel rejected. And listen, I, I know we say, hey, man, just stand strong and we're not supposed to fear, man. Enough, enough negative comments, enough head wagging. Enough gossip behind your back, enough anonymous emails and phone calls, and it starts to get to you. And that intense heat, nobody's chasing you. Nobody's threatening to destroy your life, to ruin your testimony. They're just constantly showing you disapproval. Where's you down? You know what they say? Come down from the cross and we'll believe that's what the, the head wagging is meant to get you to stop what you're doing. Come down from that cross. Drop your standard. Join us. Sub point C. Sub point C. There's exhaustion. There is intense heat. Sub point C. Passion. Passion. Let me unpack that just for a moment because this is completely different than what I've already been telling you. Exhaustion and intense heat kind of go together. But for those of you that have been blessed by this emotion, when you meet the one that is going to be the one. Uh, unless you've experienced this, I'm sorry. I, I really can't explain it fully. I'll do the best I can. But when you fall in love, that feeling of, oh, my goodness, she's the one. Yes, I met her. I think she loves me. <laughs> Even the manliest of men get overcome by emotion. Oh, she loves me. <laughs> Been praying my whole life. Hallelujah. 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 Right? It has been scientifically proven, and I checked it out. The, the emotion that overcomes somebody that we associate with falling in love, the heart begins to beat faster, causes your breathing to speed up, and it actually dries the mouth and makes you pant. Sometimes it's not necessarily persecution, right? That's the intense heat. It may not be persecution. It's not that anybody's disapproving. 
Maybe no deadlines or people or problems are chasing you down, but maybe there's something deep in your soul that has such a longing and a desire to know God better. You know that He died for you. You know that He loved you so much that He carried your sins on the cross. You know that He's seated at the right hand of God. And right now, this morning, He has leaned over heaven. The Bible says He inclines His ear towards us. He wants to, he wants to manifest Himself to you. He wants to, as His words, make His abode with you. He's knocking at the door. He's speaking. He's calling out saying, please open the door. I will come into you. I will sup with you and you with me. And something deep in your soul says, oh man, this Savior of mine, I love Him so deeply, so passionately. I have got to know more about Him. I cannot get enough of this man. I want to know more. I don't want to stop reading my Bible. I don't even want to go to work. I'm going to, hey, here's an idea. I'll take a day off from work just to spend with God. Rather than take a vacation and skip church, I'll take a, I'll take a vacation from work and go to church. I'll go out in the wilderness with my Bible and the Holy Ghost and just talk to God for the day because, man, I can't get enough of Him. Wow. He loves me. The creator of the world. He knows my name. He knows where I'm at. He's interested in me. He's praying for me. He's thinking about me. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Wow, he's looking forward to seeing me. One day I'm going to walk the aisle. And I'm going to see the bridegroom standing at the, at the end of heaven. They're waiting for his bride to get to the end. And I'm going to look at him face to face. And I, oh my goodness, I have such a bright future. But I, I want that now. I want to know him now. I, I want to get closer to him now. I want to feel his presence now. Oh, it was so wonderful this morning. I was praying, God, what about this problem? What about that problem? I was reading in my proverb this morning because you've got to read a proverb a day. Proverbs 28, God's, God gave me three different verses. He spoke to my heart from three different verses. And, 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 and sitting at my desk, just the tears started to roll. You know why? Because God spoke to me. The information he gave would not be overwhelming or even impressive to you. I'm just overwhelmed that he took time to answer my prayer right now. I want more of that. I want to be so desperate for that. Oh God, please, please. Let me taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. This is why in another place in the Bible, a woman in Song of Solomon, the woman cries out to her man saying, I am sick of love. Not like I'm sick of love. Not, not, I'm heart sick, right? My, my heart is so hungry, yearning so deeply. Here's the problem. We search after God. We seek his face and yet he doesn't show up. He doesn't manifest his presence the way we hope and hope deferred maketh the heart sick. We say, God, please show up. I need you right now. And God says, I will, but not right now. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Mm. Mm. It's like setting up a big date with your wife and then she calls and says, yeah, I can't make it. Whoa, come on, honey, make time for me. Passion. That deep passion for God can create the soul 
this panting of the soul. I, have I given you the verse on your outline? Yes, Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Can I just read it with you? God said, for my, that should be for my people. Forgive me, it has me. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Notice, they could have been satisfied with the fresh, refreshing waters that flow from the throne of grace. But they forsook that. And in exchange, they have these water pots, these cisterns that they made. And those cisterns can't even hold the water. That You focus all of your time and attention and passion into those things. And they're not going to be able to sustain you. God says, here I am, the living water. If your soul is thirsty this morning, come and take a drink. I'll manifest myself to you. Let's move on quickly and finish this morning to the cure. Number two, the cure for the panting. Let me give you four quick options to cure the panting. I do not recommend any of these as a proper step. But some of you might be thinking these, so let me address them. Number two, cure for the panting. Number one, um, stop the persecution. The intense heat. If you're feeling that this morning, people are wagging their heads. Here's what you could do. Just compromise. Whatever stand you've taken, stop taking that stand. Just tell the people, sorry, didn't mean to offend anybody. I will bow to your will and I'll do it the way that all of you want me to do it. And there we go. Then they will stop wagging the head. You will have come down from your cross. right? And the people will say, yay, well done you. Temporarily, you might feel a slight bit of relief, but I think long term, that's not the answer, is it? Number two, if you're exhausted by fear, you've been running from either a real threat or a perceived threat, just ignore the threat. Just flat out ignore it. Let it get you. The people that are chasing you, give them what they want. Become a doormat. Let them run all over you. Give in to fear. Let it paralyze you. Whatever you're worried about, give in to your pessimism. And go so deep into depression that you just can't move. That's an option. Not a good one. Right? But some people do that. I wouldn't recommend it. Maybe you're tired from work. Here's what you could do. Stop working. (laughs) A lot of people do that, right? Now, I would recommend breaking away for a little while. Maybe reevaluate your schedule. Take a vacation. All of that is good advice. Please do that. But some people think, you know, because I was busy serving the Lord in this way or that way, or even busy at work with these tasks, well, the answer is to just quit my job or quit serving the Lord. And they they think the problem is actually the task itself. It's not what you were doing. It's how much you were doing and how often, right? Maybe you just took on, you bit off more than you could chew. But the answer is not to say, okay, I'm allergic to labor. I'll stay away from it. That's not the right reaction. Say, Pastor, at one point, I felt that deep and passionate love for God. Can I use a biblical term? I had that first love. Remember that in the book of Revelation? Jesus told the Ephesians, you've left your first love. People say, I've I've felt that. That intense desire, that desperation to know more about God. So in order to, to not feel the pain of not having His presence... As much as I'd like. Here's what I'm going to do. Instead of passion, I'm just going to become indifferent. 
Instead of being passionate for God and seeking him diligently, I'm just going to pretend as if God doesn't show up to people. And that that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is just a fairy tale. It doesn't exist. Nobody can enjoy God that much. So I don't care if he shows up or if he doesn't show up. I don't care. You know what some people do? They start to say, well, this presence of God thing, this walking with God, that's an invention of some other denomination. Well, if you go to that church, you know, they have those experiences, but not us. Onsestilta. <laughs> Guys, that's... No one denomination owns the presence of God. The Bible promises that to those who seek it. So to become indifferent instead of passionate, that's not the answer. I'm going to give you three answers and then we're done. Th- these are things that David did. Number one, the help. This is point A, sub point A under two. Help of his countenance. The help of his countenance. Can you see it in verse 2? David said, when shall I come and appear before God? Verse 5. He says at the end of verse 5, For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I think this advice is pretty straightforward. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord, seek his face, seek his strength continually. The countenance with the help of his countenance, your countenance is the way your face looks. Do you know how helpful it is to park yourself at the throne of God and let God's face shine upon you? Ask Moses, 40 days and 40 nights he spent on the mount. He came down, broke the Ten Commandments, all Ten Commandments at one time. (laughs) Went back up on the mount for another 40 days, another 40 nights. And the Bible tells us at the end of that time, Moses' face was shining because he had been in the presence of God for so long. My question is this. Has your face ever shown? Have you ever spent so much time looking in God's face that it showed up on you? It will help your countenance. If you're like me and you hear that, you know, my first reaction when I hear somebody say something like that, yeah, that's something that someone else experiences. That might happen in other churches and other places in the world, maybe different periods of history, but not here, not now. Pachastrum, could we really have that? Yes. God's face is still the same. It's there for you to find if you want to find it. Can I advise you to do what Jacob did? He got all alone. At night, sent everybody else away and he grabbed a hold of that angel, which, by the way, was God manifest in that angelic form. He grabbed a hold and he wrestled with him all night. So much so that the angel said, let me go. Get away, kid. You're bothering me. You know, what Jacob's reply was, I'm not letting go until you bless me. What did Jacob name that place? Anybody remember? Peniel, Peniel, which means the face of God. I've seen the face of God. The help of his countenance. That changed Jacob's life. He said, Pastor, I'm down in the dumps. Going through a divorce, debt, businesses, COVID has ruined it. My health is shot. Listen, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the pressure is, this will help. Locking the door to your prayer closet and don't come out till you've met with your father in secret. 
And if it takes 30 minutes, if it takes an hour, if it takes you half the day, if it takes you a few days, don't come back till you got it. Will you follow that advice? Can I give you some more? Verse 4. Second, this is sub point B, house of God. Number one, the help of his countenance. Number two, the house of God. Verse 4 says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. Notice the past tense. I went with them to the house of God. With the joy of praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. They were having a special day there at the temple, right? Jewish feast day. Special service. They were having a bride. David said, I remember those days when I used to enjoy going to church. Do you see it in the verse? Look at it. He didn't just go. He said, I went there with the voice of joy and praise. He said, I can remember the days when I used to enjoy going to the house of God. Not by myself. I enjoyed going with the multitude. Friend, listen, do you think everybody that went to the house of God, do you think everybody in that multitude was perfect? And that they all served God perfectly and they never said anything annoying or frustrating? No, they're humans. Guess who goes to church? Humans. But you got to make the most of it, right? Now, now, let's be careful. Let's not just say, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Try to be careful. Try to be cautious. But you're going to get out of it what you put into it. You show up to the house of God and say, I want to meet with the Lord. I want to meet with my brothers and sisters. And I want to enjoy it. I'm going to go there with a voice of joy and praise. And I'm going to keep the feast the way the Lord told me to. David had no choice. This is interesting. David had no choice. He couldn't go to the temple, to the tabernacle. He couldn't go for a while. You know what? Saul was chasing him. And he even pointed that out to Saul. He said, look what you've made me do. You've pushed me away from the, from the inheritance of my fathers. I'm not able to go down to the tabernacle and sacrifice like I'm supposed to. Because he was running in the wilderness for so long. He was being chased by COVID. He had to stay on the other side. He, he did. That's where verse 6 comes from. He says, I remember thee from the land of Jordan. He says, I remember those days when I was running from, the, from Saul. And listen, God showed up even while he was running. That's why he says, I remember those times that God got me through the rough, rough patches. But David had no choice. He, he couldn't go to the house of God for a while. You know what David said? I'm the worst for it. It concerns me if somebody were to say, I've laid out of church for so many months. Really hasn't affected me at all. Now, listen, it may not have been your fault. And this, we're not trying to figure that out this morning. But if anybody says, I, don't, I haven't gone to church in so many months and it hasn't affected me, that's either an indictment against your church or an indictment against your spiritual life. Do you, do you hear? I'm not condemning you necessarily. It might, it might be the church isn't providing what it should. But God instituted His church, His house for you to visit, to find that encouragement, to get that breath of fresh air, to get that cool drink of water. To get that good news from a far country. My advice in verse 4. Turn the past tense into a present tense. Instead of I had gone and I went. Turn it into I'm going. I'm a part of it. Last thing. Verse 5 and verse 11. Can I just bring you to verse 11? Last thing. Hope in God. The help of His countenance. The house of God and hope in God. 
God. Verse 11, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. A hope is an expectation. It is is saying, I believe these things are going to happen. Hope always involves faith. You have to base it on a promise. Somebody said they're going to do this, and now you're waiting for them to fulfill that promise. That's what hope is. My expectation, no matter if I'm running from Saul on the other side, Jordan, or if I'm sitting in the house of God with joy and praise, then I'm expecting God to do what he said, that if I seek him with all my heart, I'll find him. That if I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for he is with me. I'm going to cling to those promises so that I may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do. I'm going to hold on to those promises because God said the Bible says great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. That's got to be a little bit refreshing when you wake up and go, I got a busy day full of struggles. How am I going to make it? Well, God said he's going to go with me every step of the way. That's not going to stop the enemy from throwing the fiery darts. And I still got to hold on to my shield of faith. I've got to hang on to what God told me because every time the devil throws that fiery dart, I got to say, yeah, but God said he'd do this and God said he'd do that. And that's what protects me from getting cast down and depressed and stressed out. That's what helps me. But I know God is going to do what he said he would do. God can take all the problems of this week and turn them For good according to his purpose. I believe he will. Well, I saw it this week. I saw it this week. This this is the kind of week that showed me that I've actually grown a little bit as a Christian. Because the problems of this week, if they had happened last year, the year before, I would have crumbled. But as I'm putting this sermon together, one thing after another after another, the deep called unto the deep. Big problem, big problem. And God said, fix that, fix that, fix that, fix that. I get to the end of the week and I go, wow, God. I, um, why didn't I stress out? I even shocked myself. I said, why, why didn't I panic? Because my modus operandi is to panic. <laughs> How did I experience peace through all of that? Because the master of the ship stood up and said, peace, be still. Just let it now. Listen, I'm not saying I got it all figured out. I'm just saying this week went a whole lot better than a lot of other weeks. God help me. I'm not trying to say I got to figure out. Lord, please don't test that. <laughs> I only say that to you because I want you to be encouraged that God's promises work. That pressure doesn't have to devastate you. It can actually mold you. It can actually teach you something. Hope by itself will not be enough. Listen to this. You know, well, God said he would do this. And then you just sit there and go, okay, God, I'm waiting. Go ahead, do it. Go ahead, God. I'm down in the dumps. I'm distressed. I'm distraught. Go ahead, fix it, fix it. You know what you need to do? Point one, point two. Seek his face. Seek that presence of God in your life. Visit the house of God. Get the encouragement you need. Take advantage of the resources God has put in your life. And then you can say, God, I've done all I can do. And then grab a hold of this promise. Draw nigh unto God. And what will God do? He will draw nigh unto you. So you know what you do? God, you told me to seek your face. I've prayed. I've studied. I've read. I've, I've sung. I've, 
I've tried to reach out to others. I'm, I'm doing what I can, God. I went down to the house of God. I heard this and that, and I'm going to apply it in my life. I'm going I'm to try to find something in that sermon that will help me, and I'm going to work on it this week. And then you say, God, I've done all that I can do. And once you've done that, then you can rightfully say, God, you said that if I draw nigh, that you would show up. So where are you? And if you sit there in pleasant expectation, I'm very confident God will honor his word. He'll show up. He'll show up. David had Goliath. Then he had Saul. Then he had the entire nation of the Amalekites. Because the Amalekites actually won a small battle, David's own people turned against him. Then he had Amalekites and the Israelites against him. After he got that sorted out, the Philistines came against him. After that, Bathsheba came into his life. And as a result of that, Joab had evidence about what David had done. And now Joab was against David. And eventually one of David's own children came against him, Absalom. Problem after problem, deep after deep. And you know what David found? Throughout each problem, God faithfully, gently, and mercifully helped him through it. Even when David himself caused the problem. And this is why David would make the statement, Soul? What's going on, man? You all right in there? You okay? Shame. Don't worry. The same God that helped us overcome all those other things, he's still here for us. Don't you worry. Soul, calm down. We're going to find the face of God. We're going to feel the presence of God. God's going to take care of this. Let's just keep drawing nine. God will eventually show up. Said, Brother Mike, something deep down in me just isn't right this morning. I can feel my soul has a touch of desperation about it. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is, no matter what is causing that disquietness in your soul. Help of his countenance. House of God. Hope in God. I think those things will always be applicable. What do you need to apply this morning? Of those three things, what can you do? What can you add to help you get through it? Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Stand if you can. I want to just ask you to take a moment. It will not take long. Have that conversation with yourself this morning. David did, right? He spoke to his soul. Ask your soul just now. Soul, what, what's going on? What do you need? Your soul might just respond. Say, I'm thirsty for God. Please put down the flesh. Put away the emotions of the Spirit. And that soul says, let me drive this minibus straight to the throne of grace. Let's park there a while. No matter what the pressure of life is that you're experiencing... That touch of God is going to be necessary to get through it. To get through it properly. Say, Brother Mike, what I'm going through, it's all my fault. I messed up. I don't think I'll ever, it'll never come right. Not now. 
I don't know what you did. But the beauty of this is you're always welcome to come back to God's throne. You're always welcome to say, God, I, I don't know what to do with this. Can you do something with it? You can always make things right with God. Always. sung this morning for you how tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see do you hear that when shall I appear before God sweet prospects sweet birds and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me and I'm so depressed nothing makes me happy the midsummer sun shines but dim the fields strive in vain to look gay No matter how beautiful it is on the outside, something's wrong. But when I am happy in Him, December's as pleasant as May. December in America, that's the cold season. That's the winter. Everything's dead. But when I'm happy in Him, I have the pleasure of springtime in my soul. That's what's going to help you get through those pressures of life. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for the promise that if we seek your face, we will find it. Lord, help us this morning to get back to that first love. Lord, to know that you love us, it's it's more than the soul can really comprehend. It's hard to take that in completely. Father, this morning, would you please help each one of us here to take that in, to let your love just overwhelm us. I know that these folks are going through a lot. I don't even know the half of it. Thank you for the advice this morning from this passage that will help them get through these things. Lord, we have a big day ahead of us. We look forward. We we approach this time with the voice of joy and praise. Bless our fellowship. Bless the food. Bless the fun. Bless our time together. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.